Hi, I'm Bernard Leong and you may know me as an executive who owns a really small media outlet and in my spare time I want to learn how the South China Morning Post is transforming itself in the age of disruption. You are listening to Analyze Asia, the podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of business, technology and media in Asia and today I have Gary Liu, CEO of South China Morning Post and he's one of the business leaders who's on my list of CEOs that I really wanted to interview. Welcome Gary to the podcast for the very first time. Thank you, Bernard. It's great to be here. And also thank you for hosting me here in Singapore. And I want to start to get to know you better because I've listened to many of your interviews with different podcasts and even media outlets. I wanted to get an understanding. How do you start your career? Oh boy, uh, with a lot of luck. I think that's the right answer. I started my career in technology, in, in big box US tech with companies like Google, AOL, and Spotify. And then I had a stint running a small media technology startup in New York City that some of your listeners might remember called Dig.com. This is the Kevin Rose Dig, and, and I was part of the reinvention of Dig. And then I found myself at the South China Morning Post about two and a half years ago. What's the backstory from how you come to join the South China Morning Post as the CEO? Well, the South China Morning Post, a little over three years ago, changed owners. And as part of the ownership change, there was a, an aggressive move towards digitalization. And the new owners were looking for executives who bridged both the gap of understanding traditional media, but also really understanding how digital distribution works And at that point, 2016, 2017, and beyond. They also were looking, I think, for executives that understood the bridging of cultures, not just the bridging of traditional and, and new technologies, but also of cultures. And frankly, I think there's not that many of us who are Asian Americans, Asian Brits who are in the media world. Unfortunately, not as many as there should be. And I think that they worked their way down a list, a very extensive list. And at the very bottom of that list, they happened to stumble on my name. That's uh, That would be the short version of the story. No, I think, I'm sure that they're like this, right? Because I think you have also worked in Spotify and you have also worked in Dig. So there's an understanding of aggregation, understanding of news, and probably you have a very interesting career trajectory. In your career journey, what has been the most interesting lessons that you can share with my audience? Oh, that's really good. If you take a look at Spotify and Dig, the two companies are, are different in many ways, but they're also similar in some core areas. The first of which is both are media technology companies. Both were trying to, and I think you could argue, both in reinvented the way that media is discovered and consumed. At the same time, a lot of that consumption, discovery, uh, is driven by algorithm. The idea that there is a wealth of content in the world, whether it's music or written content. It's very hard for human beings like you and I in the limited time we have every single day to crawl through all of that and find the best of the best. It's also very hard for media aggregators who oftentimes serve an average audience to be able to cater to individuals in the way that we as 21st century consumers want to be catered to. Both Spotify and Dig were able to really develop in their own ways algorithms and artificial intelligence that could pinpoint the right content at the right moment for the right user. Now, those lessons, whether it's the strategic side of that, the operational side of that, the technological side of that, are infinitely relevant to news media today. Because I think news media consumers have an expectation that news organizations will be able to serve them the exact information that they're looking for at the exact moment. Largely because action of search has sort of taught an entire generation that anytime I have an intent, technology companies should be able to serve an answer to that intent. So I think that if I look at those two companies and what I'm doing today, a lot of the lessons 
from technology carried directly over to traditional media. So that comes to the main subject of the day, the South China Morning Post, or otherwise everyone knows them as SCMP. Just a quick introduction, it is a Hong Kong English newspaper founded in 1903. I think it's bigger now, it's probably a media outlet that actually serves an entire region in the Asia-Pacific because I read SCMP from Singapore. Thank you. And uh, it's now owned by the Alibaba Group. But in preparing for this interview, I did not realize that both Rupert Murdoch's News Corp and a well-known Singaporean real estate tycoon, Robert Kwok, were previous owners to SEM. That's right. So he has a pretty interesting group of owners. So to start off as an introduction, and I am more mindful about what is in its current state. Can you summarize what the South China Morning Post and what is its current mission and vision? The South China Morning Post is a very old news organization. It's now 115 years old. This year, we'll be celebrating 116. Not quite as old as the Straits Times, which is the paper of record here in Singapore, but still old, especially for Asia. And over the course of the century-plus history, the South China Morning Post has always covered uh, Asia for Asia. Now, of course, we are uh, considered the English-language newspaper of record for Hong Kong. We have been that way for about a century. Our expertise has, for most of our history, been Southern China, hence... The, the name of the news organization. But as the influence of China and Asia has continued to grow, especially over the last few years, the gravity of the world is shifting towards this part of the globe. The importance of the South China Morning Post's reporting has extended beyond what has traditionally been our audience. So now we really are a global media company. We serve a global audience. With the digital distribution channels available to us via the internet, we can serve a global audience without much marginal cost, to be honest. So as a news organization, we print a daily newspaper still in Hong Kong. It's a site that you will often see, Hong Kong business people uh, carrying around the print edition of the SCMP. But to most of our readers now, these are tens of millions of readers around the world, we are a digital media outlet. We exist on our website, scmp.com. We exist across a number of social distribution channels, whether it is Facebook or YouTube or Twitter. We have incredible video content that is distributed across pretty much anywhere you can find news video. Increasingly, we are producing podcasts and whatnot. So it's a full stack news media company with a relatively simple vision. And that vision is to elevate thought. And the idea is with our readers, with our audience, we expect to meet them exactly where they are and their understanding of Asia and China and its rising impact around the world and take them to the next level. And the mission, which is a little bit more focused, is, is what we're trying to accomplish today, is to lead the global conversation about China. Every single one of those words chosen with precision. Because it really is a conversation we don't expect to just be broadcast. Our goal is not to just tell you what to think, but to provide you with the objective fact, to provide you with multiplicity of perspective, and hopefully participate in a discussion with you that allows you to come to your own conclusions about the rising impact of Asia. I think I'm I'm very curious to understand this, and I think you alluded to talking a little bit about who is interested in reading SAMP. Who are the core audience in your view? Are there people who are very interested in China and maybe to a certain extent the other parts of Asia Pacific and trying to figure out what is going on given this huge economic growth that's in the region? That's exactly right. There is a growing recognition that China's rise impacts practically everything around the world. It really is that kind of behemoth. Over the past decades, those who are interested in China are, well, were those globally, were those that were just directly involved in 
academia and diplomacy and politics and development, some in the financial markets and the development of capital in this part of the world. These, these are folks that were what we refer to as China hands. They were China experts. And so globally, outside of our home marketplace of Hong Kong, traditionally, those were the readers of SCMP. But what we found in the last two to three years is that there is a, an exploding desire for China information and China knowledge from a group of people larger than this subset of China hands. Since Alibaba's acquisition and your hiring, what are the changes you have brought to SEMP? I think the biggest change is that we're able to make significant investments where we haven't before. And the two main areas are in human capital, so people, the newsroom, as well as in product and technology. So we have fundamentally transformed our newsroom by hiring the best of the best around the world, being able to restructure and build our core of journalism so that the South China Morning Post represents more breadth as well as more depth uh, in the China story and Asia story overall. And then, of course, we have also significantly expanded our product and technology expertise. We've gone from a team of about 30 people, uh, which were, frankly, primarily uh, traditional IT, right, making sure that the phone lines and the desktop computers and the print facility work, to now a team of about 140 people that are split between building front-end technologies that touch the consumer, back-end technology from the data stack to the internal tools to all of the operating tech, and then, of course, also data and analytics, a growing data science team that cares deeply about understanding our user, but also making the product and then, therefore, the company operation more intelligent. I have been using your app every day to read the news, so I like the app, and I also looked at Abacus News because you have some coverage of tech companies. That's right. The data is pretty interesting to me. What are the interesting innovations and products that are now pioneered from SCMP that is important to take the paper into the digital age? Well, Bernard, I think it's more concepts Mm -hmm. of how we're thinking about content discovery and content consumption that is going to take us to the next level. So traditionally... A news organization, especially a printed newspaper, for most of the history of this format, has completely owned the entire stack from reporting all the way through to discovering consumption. Right? We've controlled every step of that process. Frankly, we've created one version of the product and assumed that it's going to serve everyone. And users didn't have a choice. That It's not the way the world works anymore. Users ha- can, can choose... Our readers can choose to find news content in so many different places. They can decide to consume in many, many different formats. They can decide to share across many different channels. And so our job as a news organization is somehow to be able to atomize this old school product of a broadsheet newspaper, deliver it in its unique and individual packaging to the user, but also make sure that we are not negating the value, the holistic value of news content. I know that's, there are a lot of buzzy words in there, but let me break this down. The concepts that we're working on is this, is that a single news article, which used to be just a printed news article of anywhere from 400 to a long form, couple thousand words, it can be delivered, it can be discovered and delivered in many different ways. That same news article can be a digital written article. It can be a short form video. It can be a long form video. It can be a podcast. It can become an infographic. In each of those formats, we have to make sure that the sanctity of news of what that objective fact is and the intelligence of the opinion that is associated with those facts, it stays intact. And then we have to find the right delivery channels for each of those different formats to reach our different audiences. That's a hard thing for a news company to do because unless we leverage technology to take a news article and transform it across the different formats, 
If, if we don't have tech that automatically does that, it's just four or five times the amount of work as it used to be for a news organization. And as companies are under more pressure around the margins, it's harder and harder to invest in three, four, five times the headcount for a single story. So we do have to use technology to be able to, to reach that goal. And on top of that, you also need to build the business models that comes that's associated oh with Oh boy, that's a, that's a whole different topic. So discovery and consumption behaviors having changed, we have to think about a unit of news and the distribution of news in a different way. Which is why, and you mentioned Abacus earlier, which is why the South China Morning Post is innovating by also creating sub-brands. Because we also understand that readers today, they want to feel that a news brand is part of their identity. These are the things that they become loyal to, the things that represent who they are. Um, and it's, it's oftentimes very, very specific, what we used to refer to as niche audiences because of the internet niche scales really well. And so we've created a series of sub-brands beyond our core of the South China Morning Post. These sub-brands include Inkstone, Abacus, Gold Thread. We have some sub-brands that have existed for a number of years, This Week in Asia, Post Magazine style. All of these serve a different audience use case. Inkstone, as an example, for those who have raised their hands to say, I want to understand China more, but don't really know where to start, Inkstone is a relatively simple place to start. As a product, it packages seven pieces of content that educate you on current events, but also give you an understanding of evergreen issues surrounding the rise of China and Asia. So if you want to start somewhere, that's where you start. So Inkstone audience, that's what they're looking for. Abacus, as you put it, covers China tech. But in a very specific way is that we believe the South China Morning Post and the Abacus team specifically understands the Chinese internet culture better than anyone else. And the Chinese internet culture in many ways is the fountainhead of how the Chinese consumer is changing. And then we have Gold Thread that explores travel, food, and culture across all of China. And then a number of the other sub-brands that just serve specific audience use cases. Packaging content in that way allows the South China Morning Post brand and our sub-brands to engage really, really deeply with segments of audience and serve them on a daily basis. I understand that in the media business, editorial control and the business has to go hand in hand. What is more interesting to me is to understand what's your thinking process in making a decision when you have the whole, maybe editorial content and the business suddenly finds itself in conflict. Maybe it's just sometimes it's unexpectedly. It's, it's not that they were not aligned. How do you think of those situations then? Believe it or not, we actually don't find ourselves in conflict that often. And I think it's because when we create new things at the South China Morning Post, it's done with editorial and business together in the same room. And business, we can, should be able to break down into a bunch of different functions. What I mean by that, editorial, product, advertising, marketing, and data, all together in the same room to create. So our new products, the new distribution channels we invest in, the new editorial series in many ways that we decide to build, the sub-brands that we have created, all of these things have been built in coordination with all of those, each of those teams. Now, at the end of the day, editorial independence is primary to everything we do. It is the most important thing, the strongest conviction of the South China Morning Post. And I think because of the fact that that is articulated, and it's been articulated for 115 years of our history, and we continue to repeat it, that's probably the reason why uh, we do avoid conflict, or at the very least, we, we don't find ourselves in intense conflict because everyone in the team knows that if there's any decision that we're making that impinges on editorial independence, we're not going to do it. But at the same time, the editorial team is actively working with product and marketing and advertising and, and data to understand what today's audience looks like and how we as a newsroom can serve them better.
how would you define the metrics if the South China Morning Post is successful in a few years' time? The reason I'm finding it hard to answer that question is because the metrics of success are changing so rapidly in our industry. Bernard, I think the easy answer would be to look initially at reach and then at impact. Now, reach, of course, it really is. It is primary for us today because part of our transformation, and I would argue the most important part of our transformation, is not so much print to digital because that's just about format and distribution. It's about taking the South China Morning Post from being a regional news organization to being a global news organization with regional expertise. And so reach, as you can imagine, around the world is the most important indicator of whether or not that transformation is is a success. And we're very proud of the fact that over the last two and a half years, and we're nowhere near done with this change, but just in the last two and a half years, our traffic has grown by about 6x globally. And almost all of that growth, in fact, actually, actually, I should say all of that growth is outside of our home marketplace of Hong Kong, just because our market saturation and penetration of Hong Kong was already extremely high. So we are now about 90% outside of Hong Kong in audience. So that is a primary metric. And, I, and certainly in five years, we want to see that reach grow. The next piece would be impact. And impact is harder to measure. You can quantify it. There are ways to quantify it from seeing how the world not only reacts to our reportage, but how important our primary reporting is for other news organizations as a source. But honestly, it is, I think, for impact for us is seeing if the world understands China and Asia better, the implications of a rising China and Asia better. And that, I think, at the end of the day, is our goal, is to have the world understand each other better and for there to be greater collaboration and cooperation because of the discourse that a platform like ours, like a news organization, is able to facilitate. So I want to switch gears and I think we have talked about it earlier in the conversation about monetization. Mm-hmm. So we want to talk about media trends in Asia. I think the first thing that comes to mind is as digital disruption has entered into traditional newspaper and media outlets, what are the challenges and where are the opportunities you see that a traditional outlet such as SEMP or maybe some of the regional newspapers can actually move forward with Okay. That. Let's start with the challenges, and there are plenty. Mm. The first one is this... The, the changing consumer behavior has really upended the news industry. Like I said earlier, news organizations like ours used to own the entire stack. We could define how news was captured all the way through to how news was delivered and read. And now we need to li- live in a world where a lot of that stack has been disintermediated. Technology companies have come in and taken apart you know, our process. So we have to learn how to package, how to distribute through multiplicity of channels, how to engage with different types of audiences, right? It used to be you, you, you create for the average audience. Now we have to create for individual audiences. And we have to learn a bunch of new formats. News organizations, traditional newspapers never used to have to work in video or in audio or in multimedia, so interactive graphics. Now we have to be excellent at all of those. So from a format perspective, how to actually, how to articulate our news reporting, that is a huge challenge. The second is, of course, how to monetize all of that. Because when we used to sell advertising or classifieds on the printed newspaper, it was relatively simple. For most of us as newspapers, there was one major player in town and we could set our prices and we could just retake orders. And I know that it's, it's, it's a l- probably a little bit harsh because I'm cer- certainly oversimplifying the work of many, many of our um, longstanding salespeople. At the very least, people knew that they needed to call us and there was a lot of order taking in the business. 
Now we have to reinvent monetization in a digital mindset and one where it's become much more of a commodity market. And so there is a race to the bottom on price where major platforms have primarily taken over as the sales and well, both the, the sellers and buyers agent. So there is a new middleman and that new middleman is definitely they are owning and they are defining how the sales business now works. The value of a user when it comes to an ad and effectively a, a user that we monetize via advertising has dropped by about 80% from print to digital. That's quite significant, which means that news organizations now need to reinvent what it means to exchange value with a reader. How do we, through digital, ask for users to pay for our content? That's a behavior that now multiple generations have not seen as default because we have raised multiple generations of consumers to believe that content ought to be free. And now we're going back to them and saying, hey, news content is hard to create. There is very real value and we want to we wanna be able to responsibly exchange that value with you. I think I've listened to interviews from The Guardian, The New York Times. They are thinking that they are a local outlet going to become a global one. I think you're also going in the same direction. Do you think regional media outlets such as Nikkei and yourself are also going in the same way in terms of thinking about the audience and trying to put your perspective in that region? As that's your competitive advantage because you know the region better than the other outlets that covering. So for South China Morning Post, that is absolutely the strategy. We have an advantage in that our expertise is in covering China. And rising China is impacting the entire world. I would argue that there is no consumer in the world, the very least within the next 10, 15 years, there will not be a consumer in the world that is not impacted by everything that China is doing, from policy to internal politics. Right? Not every news organization has that advantage. There are many regional news companies that are incredible news outlets who have been serving their local and regional audiences extremely well for a very long time, whose expertise is not relevant to the rest of the world. And so we do think that the survival of the South China Morning Post is dependent on making this switch from regional to global. We also do recognize that because of our expertise, it's a very unique advantage that we can make that change. What are the current interesting business models and innovation in media that keeps you excited in this space? I think we do need to carve that up into business models and innovation. For business models, I am very encouraged to see that more and more users and readers are willing to pay for quality news. What we've seen, of course, is successful subscription campaigns from major news organizations like the New York Times and the Washington Post. There have been incredible membership stories coming out of companies like The Guardian. And then there are other niche news organizations that have found specific audience that will pay for their expertise, like the information or the athletic. And this type of, again, value exchange from a publisher to a, well, I should say from a user to a publisher, that gives us hope for the future. So from a business model standpoint, I think everyone is looking into, okay, how can I find the right audience who's willing to pay for, for my content now re reporting. On the innovation side, I think what's most interesting is that there's a cutting edge tech is relevant to news media, absolutely relevant to news media. If we're thinking about artificial intelligence and how AI is changing everything about the world and every expectation of the consumer, that of course applies to content. We started off by talking about how users, they expect to be delivered something that is individual, that is personalized to them. Beyond that, they expect to be delivered information at exactly the right moment of every day. It's the same for Spotify, right? In music, when I turn on Spotify and I press play, 
I expect now Spotify to know what mood I'm in, what time of the day it is, what activity I might be doing, and give me the music that will serve that activity. Whether I'm working out or I'm trying to concentrate and, and do work, or whether I'm getting ready for bed, those are all different use cases. Spotify should give me different music for that. You know, news consumers have that expectation too. That when I read news in the morning, or in the afternoon, or in the evening, when I have asked a specific question of a news company, or the news organization should know what I've already read in the past, the information that I already have, and when I open up the news app again, you should be giving me something new, something incremental, an update of some kind. And AI, by the, it, we, we haven't gone there yet. I don't think any news organization does that well. Artificial intelligence is going to be primary for us to be able to serve the user in the way that they expect. So I see traditional news media outlet as an institution of trust because of the high-quality journalism. That's why I go there. And I, I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on this because we, I think one of the things about digital is about discovery. And I think very little is done in the curation side. And given that you are an institution of trust, do you think that there will be more innovation in the curation side? I hope so, but I also recognize that well, the news industry abdicated the, the responsibility of aggregation a, a number of years ago. The question is, can we win it back? Are we able to build user experience and quality of discovery that is better than what's available out there? Whether it is Facebook for many countries, or Twitter for many users, or even now with products like Google News or Toutiao in mainland China or Naver in Korea, Line, Line Today in Japan and Taiwan. These are all aggregation products that do a very, very good job of scouring the, the web and personalizing content for a user. The user experience across all of them is, is really, really high quality. How do we as individual news organizations claw back the one-on-one relationship that we used to have with users if, if the user experience of those products are already so darn good? The short answer is... I hope that we will have another shot at this, but I'm also aware that it means building better user experience than what already exists. So I'm very curious to know your thoughts. Where do you think Asia journalism and news goes towards with the rise of China? I think with the US, we have very global outlets like Bloomberg, New York Times. Do you foresee at some point in the next few decades because of the rise of China, you have the equivalent of those outlets that will actually be driving the narrative. You asked me about the opportunities that exist for us going forward. I only talked about the challenges. This is exactly the opportunity. Is that the gravity of the world is moving towards Asia. This is not just a marketing or PR narrative. It is the truth. Is that with the rise of not just China, but the entire ASEAN bloc. Innovation is sprouting out of Asia. The global market economy is developing in Asia at a speed that we've never seen before. There are incredible things going on across the education space in Asia, healthcare. There is a drive for sustainability out of Asia that I think the rest of the world, especially the Western world, can certainly learn from. So I think that over the next decades, there is going to be just a, a growing interest and focus on new stories, on people stories, on companies and governance in Asia. And as news organizations based here, it's a huge advantage. On top of that, the internet, as I said earlier, has made it so that we can access the world's audience. We no longer have to be limited by where we print a newspaper and where our delivery trucks are, right? With very little marginal cost, we can, our content can be forefront for any user who has interest. 
and so I think that those are huge opportunities, and it would be maddening to me if news publishers in Asia squandered that opportunity. And thankfully, what I've seen is that the peer set that South China Morning Post has across the region have all not only recognized it, but have jumped headfirst into the opportunity. And I, I'm excited about what that future looks like. Gary, many thanks for coming on the show, and I've really learned a lot from this conversation with you. So in closing, I want to ask you two questions. Can you recommend a bold movie, podcast, or anything that has recently made an impact to your personal or work life? Uh, I'll name books, mostly because I want to try and sound smarter than I actually am on this podcast. The first one is just more of a, a work and management book. This is going to show how American I am. I've been reading a book by an American four-star general, General Stanley McChrystal. The book is called Team of Teams, and it's about how the general, when he was in command of the Joint Special Operations Command, they were going after Al-Qaeda, and it was a very, very complicated operation. And it's about how the U.S. military, along with a number of other militaries, changed how a traditional military operation works, changed it to a completely new form that provided accountability and authority to a bunch of disparate teams it's fascinating. I don't agree with everything that is said in the book, but I think it gives a great sense of how to operate within a very complex environment. It's a new way of thinking. And the other book that I've really, really enjoyed, it's a, it's a series. I'm only in the second book of a trilogy. It's The Three-Body Problem. It's a science fiction series that came out of China. Probably the most well-known science fiction author from China. Yeah, no, it's just a, it's a great read and, and it opens up your imagination. It's just very entertaining. So I would recommend both of those books. Thank you for the recommendation. So how do my audience find you? You know, the, the, I, don't, I don't often say anything of interest. So finding me is less important than coming to read the incredible reporting of the South China Morning Post newsroom. And so scmp.com is where you'll find our core news product. We also are at inkstonenews.com for those who are what we call China curious. Uh, you can find our tech coverage at abacusnews.com. And then, of course, if you want to learn more about culture and lifestyle and uh, travel and food in China, you can go to, go to Gold Thread 2, Gold Thread 2, the number two on any social media distribution site probably can go more beyond the app and abacus so i will try some of those recommendations you have they are they are fun reads mm. yeah. just google me at bernard leung you can find us on itunes stitcher soundcloud acast himalaya luminary and also spotify you can definitely tweet to me your feedback give us a five star rating on itunes or a star on pocket cast and overcast and of course our live show is going to happen on the 5th of september in WeWorks suntech singapore so we look forward to see you there. So, Gary, many thanks for coming on the show, and it's a great conversation. I hope to speak to you in the future again. Thank you so much, Bernard.